Well, good afternoon, everyone. Or good, good morning. I'm sorry. I'm used to preaching at Park Hyde Park, and we meet in the afternoon. And so good morning, everyone. Uh, uh, my name is Noah Chung, and I'm the pastor at Park Community Church Hyde Park. We just started our church plant uh, a little bit about nine months ago, and I'm um, continuing that uh, effort uh, pretty far south from here. I feel like Forest Glen and Hyde Park are like the furthest to Park Community Church locations, and so I'm glad to be able to join you all and actually kick us off on our Psalm Summer Series. And so if you uh, have your Bibles, uh, please turn to Psalm chapter 1. Uh, Psalm chapter 1. You know, before I read the psalm, I do want to acknowledge that um, this week, I know for many, and I was mentioned in the prayer and um, just kind of how everything has happened in Texas, um, this weekend is also Memorial Day weekend, which if you are familiar with Chicago, it's kind of the unofficial start of the summer, but also, you will probably see much of this too, there are many efforts to engage the city as summer is usually one of the most violent times in our city as well, and there have been other news of different reports by a large denomination. That if you know about that, that's come up and that's been on the news. And so it's been a really hard week for us as a nation, perhaps as a church in the U.S. And so um, I want to mention that first. Uh, that many of us, even myself, we have kind of a heavy heart um, during this week. Um, so I ask for your mercy and prayers as we begin Psalms, which I believe is one of the uh, books of the Bible that we go to, that's a lifeline for comfort, encouragement, and also lament. Uh, and so uh, before I also jump into, I do want to kind of give a quick context to Psalm 1 and Psalm 2, really. Uh, but Psalm 1 kind of serves as the gatekeeper to all the other Psalms. Um, in a way, its theme provide a foundation for the entire book and allows us to enter into what scholars call um, this wisdom literature, our poetic literature within the book of Psalms like Proverbs. Um, and also in the book of Psalms, there's also a wide category of, I would say, themes or topics the Psalms covered. For example, in the Psalms, you'll find hymns, you'll find laments, you'll find thanksgiving psalms, prophetic psalms, wisdom psalms, remembrance psalms, royal psalms, and a couple of others. And so know that as you read this breadth and beauty of the book of Psalms, there is a lot of categories in which it touches upon the human experience and human life. And so um, with all that said, I want to make sure you kind of have that first. Let me um, read and then pray and then we'll dig right in. And so also for this Psalm 1 series, traditionally I know at Park we read from the ESV or the English Standard Version, but I'm going to be reading from the CSV, which I believe is the Christian Standard uh, Bible Version. And so let me read that, Psalm 1, and then we'll uh, pray and then jump right in. Psalm 1. How happy is the one who does not walk in the advice of the wicked, or stand in the pathway with sinners, or sit in the company of mockers. Instead, his delight is in the Lord's instruction, and he meditates on it day and night. He is like a tree planted beside flowing streams that bears its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. The wicked are not like this. Instead, they are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand up in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to ruin. Let me pray. 
Father, we are grateful for your word. We're grateful for the book of Psalms. Um, For thousands of years, probably even longer, God, your people have read and meditated and leaned upon these words in the book of Psalms. And God, we as your people do the same this morning. But God, I pray for the rest of this summer, the rest of our lives, God, that we would let these words give life and energy and comfort and also conviction throughout this summer. May it just nourish our hearts. Um, And I pray, oh God, that as we hear Psalm 1 as kind of the, the foundation or the gatekeeper of the rest of the Psalms, that you would open up our hearts and ears that you would please um, use me and whatever words that I am trying to say, may those be forgotten, but whatever words you want to say that would bear good fruit in the hearts and lives of your people, may those words stick and bear fruit in multiple and multiple fruit, God, for your sake and for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So every morning... Um, my wife and I get up before our kids. So I have two kids, um, another one on the way, and so I have two boys. And um, we, uh, we do this because uh, we want them to stay in their rooms for a certain time because as parents, we need time to drink our coffee peacefully, to eat our breakfast, uh, to even spend some time with God on our own. So for our kids, they know that in their, in their um in their room, they have a light that turns green, and that's when they can come out of the room. I know some parents probably do this too as well. And then our, like, official morning routine starts. They change from their pajamas to their clothes. They brush their teeth, or we help them brush their teeth. And now it's time for breakfast. And I ask them, you know, uh, Matthias is three and a half, and Josiah is two. I ask them, usually I ask them, would you like cereal for breakfast, or would you like yogurt? And for a moment, they think, and most times they say cereal or yogurt, but there was this period of time when uh, that was not the case. And what they would say, Matthias would say, um, I want mac and cheese. And I'm like, that's not an option. Cereal or yogurt. And then he goes, um, a sandwich. And I'm like, that's still not an option. And then it wouldn't stop. Matthias loved this game for a little while. He says, oh, I want spaghetti. No, I want a cheese stick. And Josiah goes, pizza. And I'm like, no, we're not eating any of those for breakfast. It's already 6.40 in the morning, and my faith as a father is genuinely tested to not yell at frustration of my kids or just starve them. Um, Because in my mind, as a father who loves them so much, Why is it so hard to select either cereal or yogurt? But you know, in our lives, even as adults, we are saturated with choices. Everything from what kind of shampoo you should buy to what ingredients you want on your Chipotle burrito bowl or to what TV show you should watch on Netflix or the dozens of other streaming sites that we have now. You know, I remember when I was a kid, and I'm not too old now, but when I was a kid, the only option I had of what to watch was either what was on Channel 11 right now at that moment or a VHS tape of Lion King. That's all I had. But today, we have millions of options. So like my children, even though I gave them only two options, they thought there should be more. And in a similar way, when we begin Psalm 1, and really all of scripture, the path to following Jesus or following God and obeying his commandments isn't this multicolored screen where you can scroll endlessly and choose what you want or what path you want. 
In Psalm 1, it's very clear. There are only two choices. Either the path of righteousness or the path of wickedness. There is no in-between. Psalm 1 sets the stage for all the other 149 psalms. That either you are choosing righteousness or you are choosing wickedness. There is no third or fourth or hundred different types of ways. So what I want to do today is simply answer three questions, three basic questions coming out of Psalm 1. Who are the righteous? Number one. Number two, who are the wicked? And number three, who are we? Let me start with question number one. Who are the righteous? Now, at the onset of our text, the righteous person, as we saw in the CSV translation, is the happy person. Or if you know the traditional translation, blessed is what they use. Now, um, the root word of that word in the Hebrew language, the original text of our Bible, um, has this, it comes from this idea of being on a straight path or being level. So in a sense, it's this idea that one is happy because he or she is on the right path with God. Then the writer starts by addressing what the righteous person does not do. He does not walk in the advice of the wicked or stand in the pathway with sinners or sit in the company of mockers. And what you have to notice here is this progression that's happening. Each verb is, displays an intensification of a relationship with someone who is evil or wicked. Walking with someone wicked means you're kind of like talking and they might have some influence over you. While standing with sinners means you are most likely participating in some of the activities that they are doing. While then sitting in the company of mockers means that you're not just in a relationship with them. You have become one of them in form and in function. This word mockers here is essentially an outpouring of wickedness in word and deed. So you have to picture someone here slowly being influenced by the wicked, then being drawn to the activities of the wicked, and then being in a relationship and eventually being wicked themselves in identity and action. Another way to look at it, and I'm stealing this from a commentator here, um, he says that it's that the righteous do not choose the same counsel or conduct or chosen company as the wicked and sinners. That's what differentiates between the righteous and the wicked. Instead, in verse 2, we see that the counsel, the conduct, and the chosen company of the righteous person is always in the Lord and in his instruction. Verse 2, it says, Instead, his delight is in the Lord's instruction, and he meditates on it day and night. If you're familiar with the traditional translation or the reading of this verse, you know that this is where it says, the law of the Lord. But here it says in the CSB, instruction. And I actually think it's a better translation because that original word is the word Torah, and which can include law, yes, but it really includes the whole counsel of God, his divine instruction given to God's people. So it's not just the Ten Commandments, but it's everything, the entirety of God's word. Then also notice here, it doesn't say that the righteous person 
does the instructions sometimes or just reads the instructions or just obeys the instructions. But what it says is that he delights in the Lord's instruction. So much so that he meditates, literally meaning he mumbles to himself day and night. Church, delighting is very different than doing. For example, many of us have a job, we work. Many of us, as I can see here, are parents. Uh, Many of us maybe study. We have a lot of things that we do. But many of those things, we just do them. Because we need to make a living or because we are just being responsible or it's the next step of progression in our lives. Doing is usually when our actions are a means for something else. Like a paycheck or a degree or fill in the blank or for your child to leave you alone. (laughs) It's one of those things. But delighting is different. Delighting is when the end goal is simply in the doing. You do because your delight, your joy, your fulfillment, and your happiness is in the person who you are doing it for. So when you perhaps cook for someone you love or clean or give or help someone that you delight in, there is nothing that you need in return for them to give back to you because you did it out of your delight in them, not out of obligation or because of some payment in return. And so already in the first psalm, we see that the righteous person is not someone who simply just reads the law or reads God's instruction or even just does God's instructions. But it is someone who is completely delighted in them because they are so delighted to know God and to be in a relationship with him. So every act of obedience to God's instruction is consequently an act of great joy. Delighted people oftentimes become the most devoted people. Which leads us to then what happens to this righteous person if they delight in the instruction of the Lord. In verse 3, it says, He is like a tree planted beside flowing streams that bears its fruit in season, and its leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. Now to me, I find this imagery really interesting. Because for one, trees planted by streams of water most likely aren't common to the Middle Eastern terrain of this writer. So it's possible that this writer was using a hyperbole or an exaggeration to describe what this righteous man was like. And I think he does this because he wants, us to, he wants to show us that the righteous person, A, can never be shaken or be thirsty, And B, will always prosper in all he or she does. Let me explain here. First, the tree is rooted or planted by this never-ending stream of water, which means that this tree is secure and is constantly nourished by water. That no matter how hot the desert sun gets or how strong the winds are, the tree will always stand. And no matter how much it rains or it doesn't rain, because the tree has this never-ending stream of water continuing to give it life, it will always remain green. It will never wither. So for a righteous person, whether it may be external hardships that they face 
are the pressure put on them by work or life. Or maybe it's even internal hardships that are caused by mental struggle or emotional struggle or even spiritual dryness. Because they are rooted in this never-ending water and drawing from it, they will always stand tall. They will always stay green. And they will never be without needs. Secondly, we see the tree is not only secure and well-fed, but it also prospers. It says that it bears fruit in season. And I find this really interesting. And I think we kind of gloss over this really quickly in Psalm 1, if you read this before. But notice it doesn't say it bears fruit every day or it bears fruit every season. But it bears fruit in season. If you ever garden before, you know that it takes a long time for fruit to be good to eat. It grows in season. And in scripture, bearing fruit is often associated with bearing good works or bearing the marks of God's character. Very much like what we see in Galatians chapter 5. So it doesn't necessarily mean the righteous person will be successful in the world's eyes or prosperous in the world's eyes. But it means that the righteous person will bear fruit that resembles the character and ways of God in season. This should be encouraging to some of us because sometimes we don't feel like we're bearing fruit. But if we are abiding in that stream, fruit will come. So who are the righteous? Simply put, the righteous are blessed or happy because their counsel, their conduct, and their chosen company is found in the Lord and in his destruction and not in the wicked. So let's go to our second question. Who are the wicked? If you go back to our text, the verse is very clear. The passage is very clear in verse 4. It says, The wicked are not like this. Instead, they are like chaff that the wind blows away. Immediately, the contrast contrast is very stark here. The wicked are not like the righteous because they are like the chaff. Now, I'm not sure if you have ever picked, if you know what chaff is, but simply just imagine a corn uh, and they have husk on it. And imagine just taking the husk off and it's like those little strings that essentially just fly away in the wind when you pull it off. Essentially, those little strings are kind of like chaff. It's the outer layer that's really stripped off and really kind of useless. So it's kind of thrown away. So unlike the tree, chaff here is, unlike the tree, it's not rooted and grounded, but it's light. And like you say, if you just toss it in the air, the wind will just take it away. Unlike the tree that's well-nourished and always alive and green, Chaff, if you just take it off the corn for a little bit and put it on the ground, eventually it gets really yellow and eventually brown and just kind of dies away. It gets, it's dry, it's weak, it's pretty useless. And unlike the tree that is meant to bear fruit and to even bless others with that fruit, chaff is dead. Chaff produces nothing. Notice here, the writer doesn't define wickedness here because it is anyone that does not abide by God's instructions. Instead, he clearly shares that the path of the wicked or the result of the wicked is fickle, it's dry, it's weak, and it's ultimately useless before God. 
Now, there isn't much that the psalmist uses to describe the wicked, but I want to just kind of sit here a little bit longer because I want to ask the question to you all, when was the last time you called someone wicked? Now, I'm not talking about the wicked cool. Uh, I, don't, I don't know if I'm dating myself, but I'm not saying like wicked, like that's really cool. But what I'm saying is wicked that is evil. Probably not often. We don't use that often. However, there is no doubt that when we hear on the news about the things going on in Texas or Buffalo or Ukraine or whatever the, the news is coming out, we all can generally collectively say that is wicked. That is evil. But for many of us, when we see this horrific news come out, many of us and even the world around us are oftentimes surprised. Many say, I can't believe something this wicked or this evil can happen, especially here in the United States. Why? Because as a society, and I would include us as the church, we are prone to believe that our world and country is a place filled with good people, good laws, good companies, good governments, and whenever evil comes, it will get squished like a bug, and good will always win. I mean, that's the ending of every movie we see, isn't it? Let me just say that that is a lie. There is nowhere in Scripture and in God's Word that says our world, our country, our company, or any of us in this world is good or righteous. Because of sin, evil and wickedness are sadly the norm. But the reason that many of us are often surprised by wickedness is because today, evil and wickedness is not in plain sight like it was throughout most of history. Evil and wickedness are now often hidden. Wickedness is hidden behind corporation doors and boardrooms filled with greed and oppression. Wickedness is hidden behind government walls filled with the hunger of power and partiality. Wickedness is hidden behind private computer screens, accounts, messages, and actions. And sadly, wickedness is even hidden behind some churches and homes. Church, we must acknowledge that there is a lot more chaff in our world than trees planted by streams of living water. And I don't say this to scare us, but I say this to remind you that many are on the path of wickedness. It is much more real and alive than we would like to believe. I'm, I'm not sure if um, you covered this when you went through Daniel 10 in the past. But in Daniel 10, a few weeks ago, we were reminded that there was a greater spiritual battle behind or unseen to our eyes, where there are principalities, rulers, and forces of evil that influence and affect the wickedness in our world today. And that is true because there are many who are associated with wickedness. And what Psalm 1 reminds us of is that wickedness, well, but what Psalm 1 reminds us of is that wickedness does have an expiration date. If we look at the words of Jesus, even in John 15, 5 through 6, and it's really interesting here. If you look at John 15, a really well, uh, a well-known 
um, John, we see that Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like the branch, maybe even chaff, that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. And I, I feel like Jesus kind of had Psalm 1 in mind when he wrote that. Abide in me. Because the righteous that abide in me will bear fruit, but the wicked will be thrown into the fire. Verse 5 of our text also gets at this. It says, Therefore the wicked will not stand up in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. In other words, when the wicked are compared to the righteous, they will not last. This language of judgment is referring to the final judgment God will give at the end of each of our lives. It's a reminder that when every human life is taken into account, God will deem either one righteous or wicked. And the righteous will have an eternal relationship with God, while the wicked will be thrown into the fire forever separated from God. So this leads me to my last question. Who are we? Are we the righteous or are we the wicked? Let me ask you it another way. If I was to put a camera in around your neck or maybe like in your brain recording your thoughts, I know it's kind of weird, but just think about it a little bit, that recorded every single thought and word and action in your life, what would it display? What would it reveal to you or to, to us about your work or how you engage with your coworkers? What would it reveal about your home life? What would it reveal about what you looked at on your phone or on your computer? What would it reveal about how you use your time or your money? What would it really reveal about what you think about church, about God, or about others, or about your life? Would it be righteous or would it be wicked? If you just had one instance where even just a thought was wicked or against God's instructions and ways, you are wicked. I am wicked. We are all wicked. The difficulty for us is that we are more prone, I feel like this, especially as a culture, we are more prone to declare everything else in this world as wicked before we ever acknowledge that there is wickedness in us. We love giving ourselves the benefit of the doubt. We love giving ourselves the get out of free jail card, saying, God, God will forgive me. We, we love to judge others in saying that they have mishaps or they have wickedness because we fail so often to look at that mirror, to listen to our own recording, and to see how wicked our hearts are. We are selfish. We are prideful. We lust after things. We are greedy. We hate our neighbor. We lie. We fail to honor God and worship him. And we have idols in our hearts like factories making idols every single day. So for us, we are more like worthless chaff, only good enough for the fire. But there is hope. There was only one in this world throughout history that could claim himself to be righteous. There was only one who had no sin and wickedness in him. 
he would not be influenced by the wicked like many of us are. Instead, he would walk with them, stand with them, sit with them so that he could pull them out of their wickedness. He would be like a beautiful tree planted by streams of water, always receiving strength and power from the Spirit, bearing such good fruit, teaching and serving the least of these. But one day, he would be cut down by us, by humanity, stripping him all of his beautiful leaves and then placing him upon a dead tree to die a death he did not deserve. Because on that tree, he would bear upon all the chaff, all the evil, all of our sins and the death of this world so that we who are like chaff would no longer be weak, useless, and dead, but so that we could be planted near the streams of eternal water where our joy would be complete and our lives made whole. Jesus Christ, who knew no sin, who was perfect in righteousness, took upon the penalty of our wickedness and sin so that we could have eternal life, so that we who were wicked could be made righteous through him. The true reason we can find happiness is because Jesus has freed us from the bonds of wickedness that chains us to this world. And in him, we are forgiven. In him, we are a new creation. We have been given a new hope through the power of the Spirit living in us. So we no longer desire wickedness. We no longer want to associate with wickedness. But we desire and we delight in God's instructions and ways. Now this doesn't mean that wickedness and evil will never touch us. This means that sin will still reign on this world We are still to roll up our sleeves. We are still to seek first the kingdom of God. We are to do mercy, to live justly, to advocate for the lost and hurt. And we are to share the gospel of Jesus Christ to a hopeless world. But we do so with the promise that we see in verse 6. We read, For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to ruin. The promise given to the righteous is that the Lord, God himself, will always watch over you. Like the tree planted by the streams of never-ending water, all of us will face hard winds, will face storms, will face droughts. You will maybe even face people or others who are threatening to cut you down. But God's promise is that he will always watch over the righteous. Not because you yourself are righteous, because if you put your faith in Christ and believe that he has forgiven you and call him your Lord and Savior, you are righteous because of him, and the Lord will always watch over you. That as Jesus promised in John 15, if you abide in him, you will prosper. It might not look like what the world sees as prosperity, but you will prosper in God's eyes. And the way of the wicked will always lead to ruin. Every wicked person and every wicked act will be justly punished for their wickedness, whether here on earth or in the final judgment to come. 
And that is a promise in Psalm 1, and you'll see that language a lot throughout the rest of Psalms. So my only call to you, church, is to plant yourself near that living water, to depend on Christ in all that you do, devote yourself to him, and delight in his word and in his instruction for you. And um, also, I wanted to, this is probably the more practical application, but um, as Pastor Dan and Pastor Brennan were letting me know, that as a church at Forest Glen, um, this week I am supposed to also encourage you to take one of these. Um, these Psalm bookmarks will help you to read through the book of Psalms throughout the summer, actually three times. Um, and you look in the back, and this bookmark is a reading plan for this. And this plan is also based off of a plan that the church has used for hundreds of years to read through the book of Psalms. And in this way, as a church, I'm sure that this is one of the steps in which you can delight in God's instructions in a way where you can be constantly drawing from that never-ending water in which you can stand strong as that tree that is planted and rooted in who God is. And so that not by your own strength or not by your own means or self-sufficiency, but because of who God is and what Jesus Christ has done for you, you are able to stand strong and nourished and able to bear fruit. Amen? Let me pray. Father, thank you for um, Psalm 1 as a gateway to the rest of the Psalms. Father, I do ask that as you um, encourage us as a church to read through the book of Psalms, to hear Psalms um, just sung, but also uh, preached, God, I pray that it would nourish our souls, that it would comfort us, that it would help us to lament, and that would also convict us of the ways that we are choosing wickedness over righteousness. And so, Father, lead us. We are only here. We can only read these psalms because of what Christ has done for us. And so, Father, send us out. Help us to bear fruit in the ways that you have planned for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.